Hello and welcome. It's Friday the 15th of October. I'm Nikolai Humphreys and this is the Lancet Podcast. This week, we focus on a three-part clinical care series, but more on that in a moment. First, some other highlights from the issue dated October 16th to the 22nd. There's an article on UK research into kidney transplantation after cardiac death. Also, two genetic studies concerning cardiology with data from the Triton, TI, MI and PLATO trials respectively and the sadly negative outcome in a study for a vaginal microbicide gel against HIV infection published online a few weeks ago. But this week, we focus on the three-part clinical care series. Earlier, my colleague Richard Lane spoke to the main author of the series, Professor Jean-Louis Vincent from the Université de Livre de Brussels. Professor Jean-Louis Vincent on the line from Brussels. Many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. You're very much the figurehead behind this three-part Lancet series on critical care. Before we look at each paper in turn, how would you define the discipline of critical care and how has it evolved? Well, critical care medicine is the discipline dealing with the acutely ill patient who is at risk of development of organ failure or already having organ failure. It's a relatively young discipline, which started maybe 50 years ago or 60 years ago, and which has really expanded very much uh, since then. Our discipline is intertwined with many others, including cardiology, pneumology, anesthesiology, pediatrics, etc., because our patients can really have all kinds of, uh, of problems indeed, and uh, it is really very important to manage these patients in collaboration with other specialists. So it's a quite heterogeneous population, and each patient is different from the other with other challenges and other issues to face, but it's really very interesting and it's really a pleasure to take care of these patients. It's really a a very interesting specialty, probably the most interesting one. (laughs) The first paper in the series looks at critical care in the global context. How would you summarize the main themes of this paper? Well, as we can all realize, there are major discrepancies in the development of critical care around the globe. And uh, there are actually a number of countries, I'm thinking at Central Africa and other regions, where there is virtually no critical care. In other countries, you have critical care only in large cities, but nothing outside those. I'm thinking at China, for instance, or countries in in South America or in the Far East. We really uh, need to help these countries in uh, uh, treating the acutely ill patient better. For a number of countries, it may not be so costly to, to help them with teaching and basic programs. And really there is an interest, I think, around the globe now to try to stick together and try to help those uh, who have less developments of critical care. We had just a meeting last week in, uh, in New York where we tried also to involve some uh, big funds like the Clinton Fund or the Bill Gates Foundation uh, to try to bring them along. So uh, that's very important. And in this article for The Lancet, we tried to describe the global situation the best we could. I'm saying the best we could because uh, it's difficult to gather 
good data on this, but there are some data, and, and there are in this article. This depicts really international variation in critical care services uh, around the globe. The second paper highlights some of the very difficult ethical and cultural issues concerning end-of-life care in the critical care setting. What are the main issues dealt with in this paper? The progress in medicine have uh, led us now to decide when to stop our efforts. Uh, actually, studies have shown that in, in general, we can very often influence the exact timing of death because uh, indeed we have these uh, mechanical ventilators to prolong the respiration, the artificial kidneys for renal failure, etc., etc. We can support the various organs, but at the end, we must realize that this may become futile, something that we call uh, in French acharnement thérapeutique, you know, acharnement as uh, that connotation of the real stubbornness in, uh, in trying to sustain life when there is actually no real life remaining. So these uh, end-of-life issues are particularly difficult to face in the intensive care unit. But we know, and there have been a number of studies on this, that in the majority of cases, patients who die in the ICU die because we have decided to discontinue our efforts. This can lead to major concerns in some parts of the world in particular. We are th thinking at the cultural and religious influences that may have an impact on this decision process. If in Europe in general and in North America, people have relatively well accepted these elements, actually in the south of Europe, in more religious countries like Portugal, Spain, or Italy, or Greece, it's uh, very difficult to address these end-of-life issues. And then if you go to the Middle East, to Israel, or to the Muslim countries, then it becomes uh, really very difficult because of these religious influences, thinking that only God can take life and we are not supposed to interfere with God's decisions, let's say. Uh, so really, we need to talk about it. We need to speak about it. We do not want to hurt anybody. But we need to have that discussion globally to try to better address these very difficult questions of end-of-life decisions. And finally, Professor Vincent, the final paper, which you're one of the authors of, is very much looking ahead to the future. What is the future for critical care medicine, do you think? We actually looked at the progress we have made in critical care medicine, and we realized that we have indeed made great progress. But we have to acknowledge, on the other hand, that we are all a bit disappointed to see that many of our clinical trials have resulted in negative conclusions in a way that one treatment versus another resulted in similar outcomes and similar mortality rates. And this is largely due to the heterogeneity of our patient populations and the difficulty to identify the right uh, patient for the right intervention. So hopefully we will be able to better uh, define our patient populations and with the help of biomarkers, hopefully we will make greater progress. So that's really the future of our discipline. We have made great progress in the process of care, teamwork, 
communication in the ICU. You know, we learned a lot from the aviation industry and we have applied a number of principles that have led to the reduction in uh, airplane crashes that we are all aware of. And it's the same thing in the intensive care unit where safety is much greater today than before and we will certainly make further improvements in that direction. But we also need to develop new agents, new therapies that could help the critically ill patient. This is true for the septic patient as well. We have a number of possible interventions in the pipeline and we hope to to make progress in preventing multiple organ failure and death in these patients with severe infections. And finally, before I wrap things up, please do remember to check out the comment and the editorial, which are all about the clinical care series and feature in this week's issue. But for me, Nikolai Humphreys, and all my colleagues here at The Lancet, goodbye and tune in next week.